I do not buy dreams. I sell them. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Flagrant Take Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Johnson, and with me today, good friend of mine, man, family, in fact, and somebody who's coming on because we had to take it back, man, with the tip-off of the NBA season, you know, now a week old, week plus, we had to get into some basketball talk, and not only that, you know, talk about a a recent collaboration in which uh, my good friend did with Chris Paul. the individual I have on today is the CEO of Corporate. He's put together different community endeavors, including, you know, but not limited to bigger than sneakers. He's somebody who's transcended the sneaker game to actually make an impact back home where we grew up. And for those uh, long-time listening flagrant take uh, followers, you know him very well. My good friend, Matt Samo Michael. Matt, how we doing, bro? I'm doing very well in yourself. Ah uh, man, you know, it's coming off a long day, ready to talk some basketball, man. Talk 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 with you. Absolutely, man. Now now thankfully we're getting this episode in on the heels of the Lakers finally winning a game. Because when we yeah, first man. when we first broached this topic two days ago, man, it was on the heels of a overtime loss, a 0-3 start, and it seemed like the sky was falling for all of us in Lakerville. So Thankfully, for my own peace of mind, you know, they were able to get that monkey off their back as they're getting ready to tip off with Denver. Um, So we'll talk about basketball on a more macro level, because by the time we put this out, that'll be old news in regards to the Lakers one and three start. But, you know, now that we're, you know, a week old into the NBA season, man, first and foremost, the observations that I'm coming away with are these high scoring games. I mean, I knew that the NFL defense was non-existent, but apparently in the NBA, it's the same thing. What have been your takeaways that you've seen in this first week? Oh, man, it seems like um, a lot of the young guys, you could tell they were definitely in the gym over the summer, right? Absolutely. Like, man, everybody just seems to be, like, wanting to prove something. Um, I think a lot of the team chemistry, you know, it's still not quite to where, you know, it's going to go, but... I like some of the stuff that I'm seeing. Um, it, it was just like, even, uh, here's an example. Uh, last night, Trey Young going against Dennis Smith Jr. Like, man, they were battling. Like, Absolutely. I love seeing people actually battle. Like, yeah, all the friends talk. Man, look, man, when that, that game is in progress, y'all are not friends. Absolutely. Once... Once the ball goes up, it's definitely a, a different thing, man. I mean, you and I have lined up opposite each other, man, and of course on a smaller scale, but friendship goes out the window because bragging rights are always paramount amongst friends. Exactly, man. I, don't, I can't tell you how many people just don't like act like that's real, but it is, man. Like, the killer instinct. You know, that was always my qualm with, um, with LeBron. It's like, at the end of that game, you're shooting a fadeaway. Easily, you're the most dominant player on the court. Why aren't you going to the basket? You're not going to miss another set of free throws, are you? Like, you know, it was interesting watching that game, and there's a lot of things and observations I've I've taken away in regards to watching LeBron. And I think this is absolutely, you know, a filling out process between not only himself, 
but his teammates and even last night in the Phoenix game, you know, as they jumped out to this big lead, a lot of that came with him on the bench in the first half. I mean, it was Lance Stevenson who really was the spark when he came in, when Lonzo Ball picked up two quick fouls and JaVale McGee's energy on both ends of the floor. And then that kind of gave way to Josh Hart playing extremely well, who's, you know, I'm glad Luke finally put him in the starting lineup because clearly Josh Hart is a guy who's more than a six man. And, and, and even six men, you can't even belittle them because going back to the days of Lamar Odom and even before that, when you get into your Tony Kukoc, it's never about who starts the game and who finishes, and those guys would usually be on the floor. But Josh Hart is a guy who on both ends of the court has proven to be invaluable. But, you know, I say all that to say that in regards to LeBron James, you know, and he's not the only superstar we're seeing knock off some rust because we can get into Kyrie Irving as well because his shooting percentages haven't been great. But, you know, for LeBron, he's still trying to figure out how these young pieces are going to fit. And when it comes to him taking over the game, you can still see he doesn't have that comfort in regards to, you know, I'm going to take the ball, I'm going to drive to the basket. In that situation, Kyle Kuzma was also pretty hot that game. I mean, he had 37 points, one off of his career high. And I think LeBron, what he's going to benefit from having this young core, this is the first time ever He's looking around at young guys who aren't looking to defer to him. I mean, yeah, yeah, they that that's the thing. They all look hungry, man. Like all them dudes uh, on the Lakers. You know, last year they were feeling it. Like they loved what they had, and this year, yeah, I mean, rightfully so. He, he makes it easier for everybody, right? Right. But like, you can tell there's still moments where they're like, "Oh snap, I forgot we do that wrong." Like, yeah, yeah, we do got to get the ball to him. <laughs> One hundred percent, and you know, going back to your conversation regarding you know Dennis Smith Jr. and Trey Young, you know, as you see some of these young players get after it out there, my question is: Do you feel do you feel the transition from the college game to the pro game pro game is is as difficult as it once was projected back in the nineties and the early two thousands? You know, I, I don't know, man, because like you got to think now it's different, like. A lot of the younger guys, you know, they get invited to the summer workouts. The, you know, they're playing against these guys. And now it's like, it's almost like, yeah, you know, they they play them. Yeah, it's a different speed, but a lot of them just look like, hey, I got to do what I got to do. So I'm not sure, man. I mean, I really, I don't know, maybe times have really changed with everything just evolving, the game evolving, right? Absolutely. I mean, not only the style of play, but even the prototypical NBA body. I mean, you think about it. Kevin Durant was a guy who came into the league and he couldn't even bench press 225 pounds. And LeBron's more of an outlier with his build and his unique ability. I mean, we all know he is a absolute physical freak and marvel. Um, but, but now you're looking at guys who are, you know, the prototypical NBA body appears to be anywhere between six foot six to six foot nine. And you're looking at, you know, 185 to 220 pounds. I mean, and and there's guys like Zion Williams, you know, at, at Duke right now, you know, who who is already showing that he's going to be a man amongst boys. He already is at the NCAA level. You know, his transition to the NBA game shouldn't be that much of a leap for him. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting as you see a lot of these young players kind of come into the league and adapt and assimilate. But... You know, it's interesting now with stretch, you know, with small ball and, 
you know, the cultivation of eliminating the prototypical center, um, the style of play in and of itself is lending itself to, you know, we're going to shoot the ball, we're going to grab the long rebound and get out in transition. And, and that's going to be, you know, forcing teams to shoot a low percentage from beyond the arc is going to be your best way to go about, you know, playing lockdown defense. It's not about locking up the paint nearly as much as it used to be. And so, you know, it, it's interesting seeing where, you know, the breakdown is defensively where we're seeing scores in the 140s already in the early infancy of this NBA season. And so, and so my, you know, as we, you know, transition, when I look at a player like Joel Embiid right now, who has the ability to dominate on the inside, he has the ability to knock down the perimeter shot. You know, as you watch a lot of his antics, as he and Andre Drummond got into it, you know, as they've had a long-running feud, you know, what about his game do you feel will prevent him from being the dominant force that he is, as you see a lot of his antics on social media? Do you feel like he's starting to hinder his own growth? No, you know, I think he he knows that, hey, if I'm going to talk about this, I got to be backing it up. Because, I mean, you know, Early on, what's uh, the buddy out of um, Orlando? Mo Bamba. Uh, yeah, he got a piece of it. You know what I mean? So I think Joel Embiid will be fine. You know, he's he's mouthy. That's just been a part of his game. You know what I mean? And it'll be all right. I, I think, if anything, it's going to fire him up because you got to think. I mean, look at Philadelphia's organization as a whole. They get burner accounts. To, well, see, that's the interesting thing, because now it's appearing like he's equal parts, you know, young Shaquille O'Neal, but he's also, you know, Bill Lambeer and Dennis Rodman, as far as his ability to get in your head and talk smack and get under your stint, under your skin, but... You know, if you're going to dish it out, you got to be able to take it. Because I also remember when Boston eliminated the Sixers in the playoffs, Joel Embiid was the first one walking off the court, and he wasn't showing that quote-unquote sportsmanship that we all like to see. And so it kind of showed something about his character, or maybe it was just a maturity that, you know, if you're going to make a name for yourself by talking a lot of smack, you got to be able, when you get smacked in the mouth, to stand up as a man and, and, and admit your defeat. Yeah, and, and you're right. And and, right and so that's, you know, a, a component of his game as well as his maturity that I'm still waiting to see. Now, obviously developing today, we hear that the Houston Rockets are willing to offer up to four first round picks in an effort to get Jimmy Butler from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Just your early observations regarding that. I mean, not even talking about fit, but do you feel like that's even a, a trade worth making if you're Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets? I think so because he knows that, you know, he's close. You know what I mean? He just has to get a little bit closer, man. And I think with them, their thing is the window is closing, you know? What, CP and, and Harden have two more seasons together, you know what I mean? Like, they really, they're pushing the urgency button. And I like it because I feel like that's what you have to do, man. You can't be the Bengals of football, you know what I mean? Right. The Bengals, they had it, lost it they can get it back and can't man I mean there's no way you know the game is 
too fast. Everybody's trying to improve, man. So you gotta you gotta be ready to improve too. Absolutely, and clearly Houston's a team that's pushing all of their chips into the middle of the table. Where right now in the NBA, it's such a stark contrast because there seems to be teams who are willingly wanting to punt the next two or three years in hopes that Golden State will either age themselves out of greatness or they'll just ultimately break up. You know, with you see KD and Klay Thompson having the ability to become unrestricted free agents this upcoming offseason. So, you know, Houston's a team that has wanted to say that they want to be the team to knock off Golden State. Daryl Morey's admitted to being obsessed, to you know, and trying to find ways to beat Houston. But you know, switching to X's and O's. I mean, is Jimmy Butler a fit next to Chris Paul and, and James Harden? I, I think so, man. I feel like Jimmy is that guy that whatever his role is, he's going to make sure that you're good. You know what I mean? And I think that's what they're going to continue just to have. So, I mean, I, I think those guys are, are going to be okay together. So what do you think in regards to Jimmy Butler as a teammate? I mean, we all know that he held out the the first part of training camp in efforts of hoping to be traded out of Minnesota. He had wanted the team to move on from both Carl Anthony Towns as well as Andrew Wiggins. Instead, the team gave them both extensions. He finds himself in an option year, and he made it known upon coming back in, in his first practice, you know, first practice, loudly even, that, you know, he felt both of them were soft. He berated them. He berated berated the GM and berated the head coach. You know, Jimmy Butler, the teammate, do you feel like him in Minnesota right now is something that can continue and how much longer, if so? I mean, like, have you watched any of or have you seen any of the games? Like, I, I have. I think he's pretty much just been like, man, F it. Like, I got to do what I got to do on court. Like, the other night... They were pointing out how him and um, Carl Anthony Towns, who isn't that the guy that he pointed the finger at, right? Right. And they were, you know, they're clapping, you know, shaking hands, walking off the court. Like, yo, I think Jimmy Butler is really the dude that's just like, look, whatever it takes. I mean, his backstory is enough for, for me to think that he's just going to be like, look, I got to do what I got to do, and that's what it, it is, man. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, mean, even that practice, Well, the question is, you know, in, in regards to pushing the right side, you know, psychological buttons, right? Because obviously we heard the stories about Michael Jordan growing up in practice and, you know, how he would, how he would, you know, he even got into a fight with Steve Kerr, but how he would challenge the Scott Burrells and knowing Kobe Bryant did the same thing and was of that same school of thought. You know, if Jimmy Butler is, the question is, if guys like Andrew Wiggins, who he said has the best guy given ability on the team and Carl Anthony Towns, who he said is the most talented player on the team, if that if that isn't the criticism in which they respond to, is it on Jimmy Butler as a leader of that team to alter his message and the way in which he delivers it? That's a good question. Man. Because, all right, let's put it like this. You were a point guard, right? Best point guard yeah. I ever played with. For you, as a leader of a team, right, it's on you to know – 
what buttons to push with your teammates. You know, if so-and-so right, likes right. the ball at this point on the court, then I know I got to hit him in the low post if that's where he's most comfortable. But if you know he's having a tough day at practice and you may not know what's going on, for example, Carl Anthony Towns, really good friends with Mac Miller. Mac Miller passes away from a suspected overdose. So we don't know what type of baggage he's carrying into preseason, right? But as a leader of that team, knowing that he could be grieving the loss of his really good friend, is it the best example to come back after you've held out to immediately come in and call him effing soft and say that the team effing needs him? My my question is just that. I mean, who are you damaging more? Are you damaging yourself in regards to your, you know, uh, perception of you being a team leader? Or are you going to now put yourself on a pedestal, but it's going to come to the detriment of your young, talented player who you said is the most talented player on the team and your big man? And so my question is in regards to Jimmy Butler as far as being a leader, if we're going to look at results on the court and he's saying, you know, I am the hardest working player on my team, well, we can also rewind and go back to when Jimmy Butler pretty much became the guy with the Chicago Bulls. We also found that Rajon Rondo was the most important player because with him, you were up 2-0 on the Boston Celtics in the first round. But as soon as he broke his thumb, they would never win another playoff game and would end up losing in six games to the Celtics. So Jimmy Butler, for all of his talent, it seems like he still hasn't mastered the ability of being the quote-unquote guy. So you would think he would find a better way to assimilate and lead a, a younger group of players. And so for me, you know, that was just a, you know, and, and as we talk about the concept of teammates, you know, I, hey, man, I just do this. I If it turns out that I'm good at it, so good, so be it. But, you know, let's transition as we talk about teammates, because it came out this week on the heels of speaking of Rajon Rondo, he and Chris Paul get into it on the court. Right. And now the, the, the fight in and of itself has been talked about, analyzed, reanalyzed, has been superimposed to see if people were spitting on each other or not, what have you. But let's get to the comment that Rajon Rondo made in regards to Chris Paul, the teammate, because in, in his defense, you know, Rajon Rondo comes out and says, you know, Chris Paul is not a good guy. He's had everybody fooled. He's also not a good teammate. And so your observations, I mean, Chris Paul is somebody that you know fairly, you know, pretty well, actually. We'll get into that here in a second. But what were your takeaways when you heard that from, you know, Rondo? I think it's, it's just stupid, first off. Like, yeah, you have got into it. But now you're just trying to, it's like you salty. Like, bro, let it go. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's. Yo, it's too many teams in the league for you just to keep worrying about this thing, this issue. Maybe y'all need to speak outside. You know what I mean? That, the, the funny thing is, it's not like you can't get his number and y'all can't talk. Like, I don't know. For me, I just feel like, okay, what, what's the point of saying that? Well, I feel like from everything we're hearing is this beef apparently goes back years. Some people would even say back to AAU, but... But definitely people were speaking to, you know, 2008 in particular when Chris Paul pretty much emerged as a superstar in the league, was an MVP candidate. And conversely, Rajon Rondo went from being a role player to, you know, a pretty important cornerstone piece on a team with three future Hall of Famers that would win a championship with the Boston Celtics. And I think at times it feels as if Rajon Rondo has been a little unheralded. 
And some of it's by his own clashing with his own coaches and the fact that he went from being a cornerstone and perennial NBA all-star to being a journeyman. I mean, he ended up being traded from Boston to the Mavericks and went from the Mavericks to the Sacramento Kings, Kings to the Bulls, you know, and so on. Bulls to ultimately the New Orleans Pelicans and now the Lakers. But, you know, whatever this beef is between these two, it clearly has deep roots because families were getting involved. And, you know, without getting too deep into it, you know, when you hear Chris Paul, the teammate, you know, what are your takeaways regarding, you know, obviously you heard about the tunnel incident with the Houston Rockets and the Clippers, his former team last year. You know, do you believe there's any truth to that? I mean, I think anywhere you leave or maybe guys didn't, maybe they didn't get to where they thought they could go with you. Of course they're going to say that. I mean, so it's like, okay, not for nothing. We've all had a teammate that just, yeah, he he gets the shine. He's like, okay, that dude don't do this. And just like us saying that, it holds no weight, like, to me. And that's just my opinion. I think mm-hmm. even if it wasn't CP, like, I'll be saying that still. Because I just feel like, yo, Saturday night is over. Right. <laughs> like, okay. Like I said, it's an 82 game season. Let's keep it, keep it moving, man. Right. I mean, I think anybody that's popular gets hated on to some certain extent. So I mean, that just comes with the popularity of you. Yeah. If somebody doesn't like you, somebody you know, and that's just life. So I swear they just need to keep going, man. Absolutely. I, you- I would love to see. I would love to see those two teams in a. In a playoff matchup, though, like I think it'd be because you know, obviously, like we said, we we're not seeing the Lakers at their best right now. They're going to jail, and you know, Houston adding Carmelo, and you know, let's hope Jimmy Butler is a part of that. You know, I think that's going to be different too. It's going to be a different look. Absolutely. Speaking of Carmelo, before we before we leave the Houston Rockets entirely, um, I I don't want to see journeyman Carmelo. Let me just say that I I have too much respect for the player he is, the future Hall of Famer that he is, and I hate it. And maybe it's a byproduct of the fact that he was always so closely compared to LeBron, you know, fairly or unfairly. I don't want to see Carmelo go out ring chasing. And my hope is, you know, after Houston, he either signs a vet minimum deal with one of his former teams and just can bow out gracefully, but I really don't want to see journeyman Carmelo Anthony, to be perfectly honest with you. And my question is, I, I wonder, I mean, I wrote about it so many times, why did the banana why excuse me, why did the banana boat crew never get together in an official capacity on the court in the NBA? Right. Why do you think that never happened? They had the opportunity this past summer. They were all unrestricted free agents for the first time. Yeah. I'm not even sure, man. Like, somebody didn't want to take the, the pay cut, you know, which front office didn't want to take that on. Like, I don't get it, man. Like, seriously, they're, they're the most powerful dudes in the NBA, and it's like, yeah, I didn't come together for why. But maybe they did have some type of integrity, unlike Boogie Cousins. <laughs> like, yo, man. Fred, I'm sorry. 
sorry about that. I'm not going to lie to you, man. Like, that was the dude I always rooted for against Golden State, man. And then he's just going to stand up over there. Like, come on, man. I think for Boogie, it's a situation where you get to rehab your torn Achilles. You get to potentially win a ring in the process. And then the ring is out of the way. That can never be brought up again as you go out into your own, you know, individual pursuits in regards to your own greatness. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, next year, New York's going to have a superstar player. We don't know who it is. It's been largely speculated it'll be KD. But, you know, eventually, once DeMarcus Cousins is healthy, you're talking about DeMarcus Cousins who can finish off his prime already with a ring and have his list of where he may want to be next offseason. So, I mean, for him, it's a win-win. Rehab the torn Achilles, win, a, you know, an easy ring that's pretty much going to be served to served up to him on a platter because he's only going to play, you know, 20, 25 games with the Warriors. And then he gets to move on. I mean, it's better than going to a team that's going to struggle to make the playoffs or make the playoffs and then actually need him to perform. He can only be 80% of himself and still get a ring this year. So is it the, is, is it the easy way out? Yeah, probably, but it's also a business decision, and it checks one of the boxes. You know, when he talks to John Wall in the offseason, he could say, dog, I already got what you're still hoping you can get. You know, so when it changed, so when it comes time for them to eventually team up, it's different pursuits. It's different motivations, potentially. And that's just how I view that. Now, you know, obviously, shelving NBA talk, man, I, I really want to get into this. First and foremost, I mean, nearly a month ago, man, I'm surprised with a package at my home. Um, I mean, listen, I, I've never been one for gifts and you you growing up with me understanding the plight of me trying to find sneakers in my size being real, you know, being one reason why I was never much of a sneakerhead. Um, this box that shows up at my house with a personalized message, um, first and foremost, that was extremely touching, man. Thank you. But how did this collaboration with Chris Paul come about for you? Uh, so for me... Uh... You know, my business celebrates 10 years, um, and I was given the opportunity by some of my advocates at the brand to, you know, finally do something. And, um, you know, obviously everybody wants to go, hey, I want to do a retro. Well, me, you know, I'm a basketball lover, and I, I love this game. I love, I always love basketball shoots. So I was like, well, I want to do a Chris Paul. And CP, since, you know, his first signature shoe, I always supported the line. So when we got to 11, it was like, man, come on, man. Like, it's just right, you know? And uh, we did the shoes. Uh, man, we did them so long ago, I actually forgot how how long it was. I, I got the original email somewhere. But, like, yo, my guy gave, we mocked it up. It didn't come back right. And then, you know, we got the professional migrant touch from my guy over the brand and you know, we we added all the details in. Uh, you know, the install has pretty much like a whole collage of uh, details that you know talks about corporate visually, uh, talks about the, the values that I have. You know, my family being one, and you know, uh, SP, which is a double entendre for 
Skip Prosser and also my mentor, Sly Keebles. Uh, then you have, like, you know, the icons of Cincinnati. So, like, there's a, uh, the, the bridge to Cincinnati is, is laid out on there. There's the museum. You know, there's um, our logos for the shop, like, everything. But then on the outsole, uh, I know you know this because you have a great picture with that size 16. <laughs> It's the riverfront, you know yeah. what I mean? And that's home, man. And, uh, you know, it's signed off with my signature just as a, on our bags uh, that say thank you, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, And then um, the hidden message in the um, the upper is, uh, would you believe in what you believe in if nobody else believed in it? Which I think was, you know, that's the mantra that got me, you know, through... 10 years of business, man. Like, obviously, Cincinnati is not a market like New York, but I always believed that they would accept and, you know, support what I was trying to do, and it's happened, man. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's it was such, obviously, I don't need to tell you the accomplishment and the level in which it is, but it was so, what, what made it so surreal for me you know, as your as your as your brother on the outside looking in, I mean, I it was the first time I ever viewed sneakers as a piece of art. And and, and, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, literally, it took me thirty seconds to make the decision, I'm never gonna wear these. And it's that I'm that's never I I, I never wanna do anything that would defile or deface this. I want this to always stay <laughs> pristine. And it was a really tough day for my Xbox because my Xbox became the fifth most important thing in my household immediately Um, (laughs) with a spot now reserved for my daughter who's on the way. So, I mean, it was it was something that when I looked at that, I mean, absolute tears of joy. Um, It was just something where, I mean, I could I could use all these different adjectives and superlatives, but, you know, this was art. And it was art that also was the brainchild of a belief and a passion of of my good friend. So, I mean, I've I've told you offline. Of course, I'll tell you on here, brother, you know, congratulations. And, you know, I mean, you continue to inspire. I mean, in regards to, to Bigger Than Sneakers and a lot of your other community endeavors, for you, how have you been able to take, you know, a concept that would appear to be so superficial as as buying sneakers and, and actually make a dent and have an impact back on our hometown. Ah, oh, man. I mean, it just goes back to, like, you know, that just sparks the conversation. Um, shoes, you know, man makes the shoes. Shoes don't make the man, right? Right. So it's the same thing, like, you know, I feel like the shoes just help me connect to the people. You know, they get they're the, the first common interest. But then beyond that, we always learn the next thing. Like it becomes bigger than sneakers. You know, it, it's about, hey man, I, I have that same thought, or I have that same value, or you know, I'm going through this, or even as far as like, man, I, I look up to you because you did this. Yeah. And it's like, man, all those things now become, you know, the, I guess. The, the whole relationship between myself and anybody that comes into the store. I don't want that customer because, again, it's not about the money. It's about the person. Like, yeah. you know, we, 
how do I say this? Like, you know, we've, we've talked about mental health. Yeah. But we've also talked about how, like, if I'm showing it and they see me going through this and I'm looking like I'm normal and everything is fine, then they can understand that it's okay. Like, it's okay to get help. And that's the bigger thing to it. So that's why I say, like, man, that's what made this possible. And that's what's pushing corporate. Because, I, I mean, honestly, there are shoes that you can get at a Foot Locker, Finish Line, City Gear, whatever, in Cincinnati. But you come to me because you know that it's bigger than just buying that shoe. Right. Like, we might talk about NBA. There's one guy that I talk every time we talk about college basketball, basketball, music. And that's, he doesn't even, like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't feel inclined to only come in when he's buying something. Mm. He comes in to, just to give me a hard time when my teams aren't winning. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, that's, that's what's cool about, you know, the, the store. It's not about the shoes anymore, man. Yeah, I'm a, of course I, I pray that we have success beyond anything else, and I can't keep a single shoe in that store. But mm-hmm. hey, even when it's slow, I know that the people aren't going to you know, turn their back on me. Like, the city isn't going to turn their back on me. There's always going to be a way to continue to build the business. But it's really about the people, man, at this point. Like, that's mm-hmm. the, the thing that gives me the significance. Absolutely, man. And and honestly, I mean, the next time we have you on, we'll definitely talk about one's ministry because I've always been told that your ministry isn't necessarily from the pulpit. It's where you are and your ability to connect with people and and wherever they may be in their walk in life. And and believe it or not, you've turned corporate and what it stands for into a ministry of your own of sorts. And and so, you know, you know, eventually we'll have that conversation about ministry, faith, as well as mental health, because they're all things in which, I mean, that that that's that speaks to so much of where we are in our respective journeys right now, you know, and and, and so like I said, man, we'll we'll definitely be having you back on very soon, and 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 delving into that, man. But I do I do want to thank you again, man, for taking the time for coming on this week, man, and and being a part of the you know being a part of the flagrant take podcast. Before we get out of here, oh, how how dude, can I'm the... proud of you, dude? I'm proud of you, man. You, you got this thing going, and you continue just to you know keep it fresh, man. And that's that's the toughest thing, Fred, man. You know, podcasts are a dime a dozen, just like shoe stores. But mm-hmm. what are you gonna leave the people with, man? Just keep keep building it, man. You know, I listen, uh, I check it out, and I. Always laugh when I I hear you with the old boys and all that man, because you know you, man, you doing it right, man. You know I'm proud of you, as, uh, husband, my father, and everything else, man. So just keep doing it, all right. I appreciate that, brother. Listen, man, it's it's the one brotherhood where there's no sibling rivalry, man. We push one another, man. Exactly. So. It's it's always been great, man. It, it's been it's been great for twenty plus years, man, and counting, brothers. So before we get out of here, where can the people find you and find out more about corporate? Oh, uh, man, you can always find me at uh, Instagram handles, Twitter handle, uh, all that. At MT is a cool guy. Just MT is a cool guy, and then uh, 
email. Drop me an email if you ever need anything. MT at corporategotham.com. And then, uh, obviously, corporategotham.com is the website for the shop. Absolutely, man. Well, again, please go check out my brother. It's bigger than sneakers. The sneakers are always on point and fresh, but you get a personal touch that you won't get anywhere else. I can personally vouch for that. Also, long-time listeners, look out for my brother, Prince Natty, who will be performing November 1st at NKU Arena uh, as he'll be opening for Nelly and Juvenile. I'll be in the building for that as well. And again, thank you for listening. We're available on SoundCloud and iTunes. And check out the website, www.flagranttake.com. And as always, be good to one another. Peace. I do Peace. not buy dreams. I sell them.